Chapter Twenty Five of Devlin the Barber by B. L. Fargen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Carton, noticing my discomposure, inquired if there was anything wrong. I answered yes. I was afraid there was something very wrong. In connection with the fate of my poor girl? he asked. Yes, I replied. In connection with her fate. Good heavens! he cried. You surely do not suspect that my guardian is mixed up with it? I am of the opinion, I answered guardedly, that he may be able to throw some light on it. Mr. Carton, ask me no further questions, or you may seriously hamper me. Have you a timetable in the house? No? Then we must obtain one immediately. It is my purpose to follow your guardian to Margate by the quickest and earliest train. I give you five minutes to get ready. Greatly excited, he darted from the room, and in half the time I had named returned, with a small bag into which he had thrust a few articles of clothing. During his absence I said to Devlin, "'You will accompany us?' "'My dear sir,' he replied, "'I will go with you to the ends of the earth. I shall greatly enjoy this pursuit. The vigour and spirit you are putting into it are worthy of the highest admiration.' We three went out together, and at the first bookshop I purchased an ABC, and ascertained that the next best train to Margate was the 5.15 from Victoria, which was timed to arrive at 7.31. Calculating that it would be a few minutes late, we could, no doubt, reach Athelstan Road at half-past eight. I had time to run home to my wife and embrace her and my children. It was necessary, also, that I should furnish myself with funds, there being very little money in my purse, and I determined to use the one hundred pounds which Mr. Portland had left with me. Employed as I was, the use of this money was justifiable. Hailing a hansom, we jumped into it, Carton sitting on Devlin's knee, and we soon reached my house. In as few words as possible, I explained to my wife all that was necessary, kissed her and the children, took possession of the hundred pounds and of a light bag in which my wife had put a change of clothing, left a private message for Mr. Portland, and rejoined Devlin and Carton, who were waiting for me in the hansom. I asked my wife but two questions. The first, how Mr. and Mrs. Melladew were. The second, whether anything had been heard of the missing daughter Mary. She told me that the unhappy parents were completely prostrated by the blow, and that no news whatever had been heard of Mary. We arrived at Victoria Station in good time, and, by the aid of a judicious tip, I secured a first-class compartment, into which the guard assured me no one should be admitted. I had a distinct reason for desiring this privacy. There were subjects upon which I wished to talk with Richard Carton, and I could not carry on the conversation in the presence of strangers. I said nothing to him of this in the cab, the noise of the wheels making conversation difficult. We should be two hours and a half getting to Margate, and on the journey I could obtain all the information I desired. We started promptly to the minute, and then I requested Carton to give me his best attention. He and I sat next to each other, Devlin sitting in the opposite corner. He threw himself back and closed his eyes, but I knew that he heard every word that passed between me and Carton. "'I am going to ask you a series of questions,' I said to the young man. 
not one of which shall be asked from idle curiosity. Answer me as directly to the point as you can. Explain how it is that Mr. Kenneth Dowsett is your guardian. I lost both my parents, replied Carton, when I was very young. Of my mother I have no remembrance whatever. Of my father but little. He and Mr. Dowsett were upon the most intimate terms of friendship. My father had such confidence in him that when he drew his will he named Mr. Dowsett as his executor and my guardian. I was to live with him and his wife, and he was to see to my education. He has faithfully fulfilled the trust my father reposed in him. Did your father leave a large fortune? Roughly speaking, I am worth two thousand pounds a year. Mr. Dowsett, having to receive you in his house as a son, and to look after your education, doubtless was in receipt of a fair consideration for his services? Oh, yes. Until I was twenty-one years of age, he was to draw six hundred pounds a year out of the funds invested for me. The balance accumulated for my benefit until I came of age. He drew this money regularly? Yes, as he was entitled to do. How old are you now? Twenty-four. You are living still with Mr. Dowsett, and you still regard him as your guardian? I have a great affection for him. He has treated me most kindly. What do you pay him for your board and lodging? He continues to receive the six hundred a year. It is all he has to depend on. Was this last arrangement of his own proposing, or yours? Of mine. I cannot sufficiently repay him for his care of me. In your father's will, what was to become of your fortune in the event of your death? If I died before I came of age, my guardian was to have the six hundred a year, and the rest was to be given to various charities. And after you came of age? It was mine, absolutely, to do as I pleased with. Have you made a will? Yes. Who proposed that? My guardian. What are the terms of this will? I have left everything to him. I have no relatives, and no other claims upon me. When I came to see you this afternoon, you mentioned a name which was new to me. You said that your guardian had gone to Margate with his wife and Letitia. I supposed he was married, and your speaking of Mrs. Dowsett did not surprise me. But who is Letitia? Their daughter. An only child? Yes. What is her age? Twenty-two. Has she a sweetheart? Is she engaged to be married? No. That answer seems to me to be given with constraint. Well, said Carton, it is hardly right, is it, to go so minutely into my guardian's private family affairs? It is entirely right. I am engaged upon a very solemn task, and I can see, probably, what is hidden from you. Why were you partly disinclined to answer my last question? It is a little awkward replied Carton, because, perhaps, I am not quite free from blame. Explain your meaning. Believe me, this may be more serious than you imagine. Speak frankly. I am acting, indeed, as your true friend. Yet, after all, said Carton, with hesitation, I never made love to her. I give you my honour. Made love to whom? Miss Dowsett? Yes. The fact is, they looked upon it as a settled thing that I was to marry Letitia. I did not know it at the time. No, though we were living in the same house for so many years, I never suspected it. 
I always looked upon Letitia as a sister, and I behaved affectionately towards her. They must have put a wrong construction upon it. When they discovered that I was in love with my poor Lizzie, Mr. Dowsett said to me, It will break Letitia's heart. Then I began to understand, and I assure you I felt remorseful. Letitia did not say anything to me, but I could see by her looks how deeply she was wounded. Once my guardian made the remark that if I had not met the young lady, meaning Lizzie, his most joyful hope would have been realized, meaning by that that when I saw that Letitia loved me I might have grown to love her, and we should have been married. I said, I remember, that it might have been, for he seemed to expect something like that from me, and I said it to console him, but it was not true. I could never have loved Letitia, except as a sister. Did your guardian know the name of the poor girl you have lost? Oh, yes. He met us first when we were walking together, and I introduced him. We had almost a quarrel, my guardian and I, some time afterwards. He said that Miss Melladew was beneath me, and that it would be better if I married in my own station in life. I was hurt and angry, and I begged him to retract his words. Beneath me! She was as far above me as the highest lady in the land could have been. She was the best, the brightest, the purest girl in the world. And I have lost her! I have lost her! What hope is there left to me now? He covered his face with his hands, and I waited till he was calm before I spoke again. "'In my hearing,' I then said, "'you have twice made a remark which struck me as strange. It was to the effect that you would not allow your guardian to give you any more opiates. He gave me one last Friday night before I went to bed, on the night my poor Lizzie was killed. I was excited, because I think I told you, sir, that it was decided between Lizzie and me that I should go to her father's house on Sunday to ask permission to pay my addresses openly to her. Till then I was not to see her again, and that made me restless. My guardian was anxious about me, though he did not know the cause of my restlessness and excitement. To please him I took the opiate, and slept soundly till late in the morning, and when I awoke, sir, when I awoke and went out to buy a present for Lizzie, which I intended to take to Lizzie on Sunday, almost the first thing I heard. He quite broke down here, and a considerable time elapsed before he was sufficiently recovered to continue the conversation. Supposing, I said, that this dreadful event had not occurred, and that you and poor Lizzie had been happily married, would you have continued to give your guardian the income he had enjoyed so long? I do not know. I cannot say. Perhaps not, although I never considered the question. But on the day that I left his house for the home I dreamt and hoped would be mine, the home in which Lizzie and I would have lived happily together, I should have given him something handsome, and I am sure I should always have been his friend. I ought not, perhaps, now that we have gone so far, to conceal anything from you. Indeed you ought not. Tell me everything. It may help me. I am sure, said the young fellow, with deep feeling, that he did not mean it, and that he said it only to comfort me. But it made me mad. He hinted that my poor Lizzie could not have been true to me, that she must have had another lover, whom she was in the habit of meeting late at night. If any other man had dared to say as much, I would have killed him. 
but my guardian meant no harm, and when he saw how he had wounded me, he begged my pardon humbly. I am sure, I am sure he repented that he had breathed a suspicion against my poor girl. Pardon me, I said, for asking you a question which, in any other circumstances, would not cross my lips, but it will be as well for me to put it to you. You yourself had no appointment with her on that night. No! cried Carton indignantly. As heaven is my judge! I never met her, I never proposed to meet her, at such an hour. I am certain of it. And yet, receive this calmly, if you can, and yet, she must have gone out late on that night, for some purpose or other. There is the mystery, said Carton mournfully, and I have thought and thought about it without being able to find a key to it. There must have been a trap set for her, a devilish trap to ensnare her. I think so myself. Otherwise it is not likely she would have left her home, as she must have done, secretly. Now a word or two about Mrs. Dowsett and Letitia. When you woke up on Saturday morning, you found that they had gone to Margate? Yes. Did you know on the day before that they were going? No, nothing was said about it. It was quite sudden. Was Mrs. Dowsett or her daughter ill? Did they go into the country for their health? Not to my knowledge. Were they in the habit of going away suddenly? Oh, no, they had never done so before. What explanation did your guardian give? He said that Letitia had been suffering in secret for some time, and that her mother thought a change would do her good. Did he tell you where they had gone to? No, he did not mention the place. I learnt it from one of the servants. So that afterwards he was forced to be frank with you? I don't understand you. Reflect. When you rose on Saturday morning, you found that Mrs. Dowsett and her daughter had gone away suddenly. You knew nothing at that moment of poor Lizzie's death, and therefore had nothing to trouble you. Did it not strike you as strange that your guardian did not mention the part of the country they had gone to? Or if, your mind being greatly occupied with the arranged interview with Mr. and Mrs. Melladew on the following day, you did not then think it strange that your guardian said nothing of Margate? Do you not think so now?" Yes, answered Carton thoughtfully. I do think so now. How did you learn that Mrs. Dowsett was stopping at 28 Athelstan Road? By accident. My guardian opened a letter this morning, and a piece of paper dropped from it. I picked it up, and as I gave it to him, I saw 28 Athelstan Road written on it. Is that where Mrs. Dowsett and Letitia are stopping? I asked, and he answered, yes. So that it was not directly through him that you learnt the address? No, but I don't see that it is of any importance. It was not my cue to enter into an argument, therefore I did not reply to his remark. I had gained from Carton information which, lightly as he regarded it, I deemed of the highest importance. There was, however, still something more which I desired to speak of, but which I scarcely knew how to approach. After a little reflection I made a bold plunge. Is your fortune under your own control? Yes. Do you keep a large balance at your bank? Pretty fair, but just now it does not amount to much. Still, if you want any... I do not want any. Am I right in conjecturing that there is a special reason for your balance being small just now? 
there is a special reason on saturday morning before i left home i drew a large cheque which you gave to your guardian how do you know that asked carton in a tone of surprise it was just a guess what was the amount of the cheque two thousand pounds payable to order or bearer to bearer it was for two investments which mr dowsett recommended that was the reason for the cheque being made payable to bearer to enable my guardian to pay it to two different firms he said both the investments would turn out splendidly but it matters very little to me now whether they do or not all the money in the world will not bring happiness to me now that my poor lizzie is dead do you know whether your guardian cashed the cheque i do not i haven't asked him anything about it i could think only of one thing i can well imagine it thank you for answering my questions so clearly by and by you may know why i asked them these words had hardly passed my lips before devlin carton and i were thrown violently against each other the shock was great but fortunately we were not hurt screams of pain from adjoining carriages proclaimed that this was not the case with other passengers the train was dragged with erratic force for a considerable distance and then came to a sudden standstill we had best get out said devlin who was the first to recover we followed the sensible advice and upon emerging from the carriage discovered that other carriages were overturned and that the line was blocked happily despite the screams of the frightened passengers the injuries they had met with were slight and when all were safely got out we stood along the line gazing helplessly at each other devlin however was an exception he was the only perfectly composed person amongst us it is unfortunate he said with a certain maliciousness in his voice we are not half-way to margate the best-laid schemes are liable to come to grief if mr kenneth dowsett knew of this he would rejoice it was with intense anxiety that i made inquiries of the guard whether the accident would delay us long the guard answered that he could not say yet but that to all appearance we should be delayed two or three hours i received this information with dismay it would upon that calculation be midnight before we reached our destination i considered time so precious that i would have given every shilling in my pocket to have been at that moment in margate take it philosophically said devlin at my elbow and be thankful that your bones are not broken it will but prolong the hunt which i promise you shall in the end be successful i looked at him almost gratefully for this speculative crumb of comfort and there was real humour in the smile with which he met my gaze behold me in another character he said devlin the consoler but you have laid me under an obligation my dear sir which i am endeavouring to repay your conversation with that unhappy young man pointing to carton who stood at a little distance from us was truly interesting you have mistaken your vocation you would have made a first-class detective to add to the discomfiture of the situation it began to rain heavily i felt it would be foolish and a waste of power to fret and fume and i therefore endeavoured to profit by devlin's advice to take it philosophically a number of men were now at work setting things straight they worked with a will 
but the guard's prognostication proved correct. It was nearly eleven o'clock before we started again, and past midnight when we arrived at Margate. It was pitch dark, and the furious wind drove the pelting rain into our faces. "'A wild night at sea!' cried Devlin, with a kind of exultation in his voice, though this may have been my fancy. He had to speak very loud to make himself heard. "'You can do nothing till the morning, and very little then if the storm lasts. Do you know Margate at all?' "'No!' I shouted despondently. "'Do you?' asked Devlin, addressing Carton. "'I've never been here before,' replied Carton. "'There's a decent hotel not far off,' said Devlin. "'The Nayland Rock. We'll knock them up and get beds there. Cling tight to me if you don't want your bones broken. Steady now, steady!' We had to cling tightly to him, for we could not see a yard before us. Devlin pulled us along, singing some strange wild song at the top of his voice. We were a long time making those in the hotel hear us, but the door was opened at last and we were admitted. There was only one vacant room in the hotel, but fortunately it contained two beds. To this room we were conducted, and then came the question of settling three persons in the two beds. Devlin solved the difficulty by pulling the counterpanes off and extending himself full length upon the floor. "'This will do for me,' he said, wrapping himself up in the counterpanes. "'I've had worse accommodations in my travels through the world. I've slept in the bush, with the sky for a roof. I've slept in the hollow of a tree, with wild beasts howling round me. I've slept on billiard-tables and under them, with a thousand rats running over me, and a score of other wanderers. Good-night, comrades!' Anxiety did not keep me awake, I was tired out and slept well. When we arose in the morning all signs of the storm had fled. The sun was shining brightly, and a soft warm air flowed through the open window. End of chapter 25